0: A few weeks ago, we went through the story of David, Nabal, and Abigail, and that's the story where David becomes the fool like Nabal, and the only reason that people didn't lose their lives was because Abigail stepped in, brought some sense, brought wisdom to the situation, and convinced David, hey, wait up, whoa, take a chill. And so we're continuing on in looking at David's life with this series of trial, error, and better living because David screws it up. Sometimes he is on point, like he's got it all together. He's able to bring the people of Israel together. He is able to do some good. He is called a man after God's own heart, and yet he screws up at levels that are just out of this world sometimes, like you look at him and you go, wait a minute, really, David? Like that's the choice you made? But all of us, Right. All of us, as we are living, as we are going, there are times where we've got it together. We are on point, And there are times where we screw up royally and want to go hide. And so today we are looking at one of the stories that is most associated with David. And it's the story of him and Bathsheba. David is going to make some really bad decisions, and it's going to lead to all kinds of problems. But as we're looking through the story, as we're looking at it from the very beginning of Bathsheba, right before this incident happens, we're going to notice that David is having a little bit of trouble with responsibilities, with his priorities. Like, he's kind of struggling. He doesn't think he is. But his decisions begin to add up. And so as we go through the story today, we're going to look at those moments, those very small moments that end up adding up to something big. That are going to be like, whoa, David, how do you even begin to think about going forward from this moment? Let us begin in 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 5. In the spring, when kings go off to war, David sent Joab along with his servants and all the Israelites, but they destroyed the Ammonites, attacking the city of Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his couch and was pacing back and forth on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing The woman was very beautiful. David sent someone and inquired about the woman. The report came back. Isn't this Eliam's daughter Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers to take her. When she came to him, he had sex with her. Now she had been purifying herself after her monthly period. Then she returned home the woman conceived and sent word to David. I'm pregnant, she said. So the story begins that David... David has sent his armies off to war because that's what kings do and we can have a long conversation about the problems of that. But what we first have to notice is after many years of David always being with his men, David always being present with his people, he's going to sleep in a tent. He is going to be right there in the middle of the difficulty of the challenge. David has chosen comfort. David has chosen David has prioritized being at the palace, and now he's bored. So a small little decision is being made, right? He's prioritizing his comfort over sleeping in a tent, over being with his men. He's shirking that responsibility, and so he makes a decision, and he's bored in his life. He's too comfortable. And so he decides, okay, I'm going to go for a walk. And upon going for this walk in the palace, because he's bored, he sees this woman on another rooftop, purifying herself, having a bath. We have Bathsheba, who who doesn't get a decision in this, who David sends for. He makes a decision, he's like, okay, who is that person? She's beautiful, I want her. Uh, My comfort is most important. And he gets the response back, well, actually that's Uriah the Hittite's wife. And he says, I don't care, bring her to me. Bathsheba doesn't have any recourse in this. She must go. And so this moment where these little decisions, first not going off and being responsible with his men, prioritizing his comfort, prioritizing his wants over everybody else's. Has David making some poor decisions because he's going to end up bored. There's no Netflix for him to turn on and he is going to begin to add these little decisions up and things have now just gotten complicated. You know, he sent her home. He had fun. Doesn't matter what she wanted, he had fun, and now the word comes back, Uh uh-oh. There's going to be consequences. There's going to be a revelation. There's going to be evidence of what he did. Continuing on in verses 6 through 11. Then David sent a message to Joab. Send me, Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked about the welfare of Joab and the army and how the battle was going. Then David told Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. However, Uriah slept. Slept. At the, in, at the palace entrance with all his master's servants. He didn't go down to his own house. So David asked Uriah, haven't you just returned from a journey? Why didn't you go home? The chest and Israel and Judah are all living in tents, Uriah told David. And my master Joab and my master's troops are camping in the open field. How could I go home and eat, drink, and have sex with my wife? I swear on your very life, I will not do that. All right, so new plan. David's in a bit of trouble. He obviously can't have this child being evidence of what he did. So he sends for Uriah the Hittite, come on home. Uh, I need you to, to tell me what's going on on the battlefield David doesn't care what's going on on the battlefield, which is part of the problem. He doesn't care about his people. And so he brings Uriah home. Uriah reports. And so David says, oh, you know what? Let me give you this opportunity. I'm going to give you a gift. And you get to go home. You go have fun. And Uriah's like, whoa, wait, no, no. Because Uriah has different priorities, because Uriah has different responsibilities. David has gotten them all kind of screwed up so far. And he's going even further. He's gotten them all kind of mixed up. And here Uriah Uriah is saying what they need to be. Uriah is actually challenging David in how David needs to change his priorities, needs to change and pay attention to his responsibilities when he says the chest and Israel and Judah are all living in tents. And my master Joab and my master's troops are camping in the open field. How could I go home? Uriah understands the priority And David's missing it. Because even in that statement, the chest in Israel and Judah, all living in tents. The chest is a reference to the Ark of the Covenant which is understood to be the seat of God. It's the physical representation that God is with them, that God is with the people. And so not only are the people living in tents, not only are the people out in the fields. the people don't have a home, but God is with them. God is living in a tent. God is living out in the field, and where's David in the palace being all comfortable and trying to not get himself in a bit of trouble, trying to be dismissive, trying to cover up what he has done. And Uriah is like, hey, wait up. Here are my priorities. Here are my responsibilities. And David doesn't take notice. David's not taking notice. David's not being awakened to the fact that maybe David has got some things going on that's resulting in these consequences. David doesn't like the consequences. David doesn't like what's happening. David doesn't realize that the priorities that he's making, that the way he is taking responsibility with the people, with others, the way he is prioritizing God and others, are all out of whack. They're just screwed up, and that happens to all of us. Like, we're going through our days, and it makes us begin to question our own of how. what are the things that we prioritize? What are the things that we are responsible for? And how are we taking responsibility? And whether or not those have gotten shifted and skewed, and whether or not the way that we are living, even in the little decisions, maybe start to add up. Continuing on in verses 12 through 18. Then David told Uriah, stay here one more day. Tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day. The next day David called for him and he ate and drank and David got him drunk. In the evening Uriah went out to sleep in the same place alongside his master's servants but he did not go down to his own home. The next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. He wrote in the letter, place Uriah at the front of the fiercest battle and then pull back from him so that he will be struck down and die. So as Joab was attacking the city, he put Uriah in the place where he knew there were strong warriors. When the city soldiers came out and attacked Joab, some of the people from David's army fell. Uriah the Hittite was also killed. Joab sent a complete report of the battle to David. So David, David's tried to cover it up. David's tried to get Uriah to change his priorities. David even got Uriah drunk and Uriah's like, no, this is my priority. These are my responsibilities. I am not moving off of it. And David's still not getting the hit. And so David, as we would say, is digging the hole a little deeper. Now David is given into those fears, given into those things of like, oh no, what am I going to do now? To the point that he makes this decision, this awful, awful decision to put Uriah on the front lines to make sure that he dies. And we may be going, man, David's like this terrible human being. He's made some Really nasty, terrible, awful choices, especially when we're talking about life and death where he's making a choice to destroy someone's life because he screwed up and he's trying to cover it up. David's digging this hole deeper because his priorities and his responsibilities are unraveling at such a high rate, right? And it started with just these small things, right? He's like, eh, "I'm going to prioritize a little bit of comfort right now. You guys go out fight my battle, but I'm going to stay home." Gets bored, inquires about the beautiful woman. Small decisions. Invites the invites <laughs> has the woman brought to him. And now the decisions become bigger. The consequences much larger. So as he got those priorities and responsibilities skewed on such a small level, it just keeps building up to something terrible. David has lost sight of God. David has lost sight of his priority being God and the people. And what's interesting is David didn't start out like that. In fact, when you go back to David as a boy, these are the stories you hear. David goes and fights Goliath. David goes and fights Goliath for the people, for others, so that others can live. David saves the lamb from the lion. And now David has become Goliath. Now David has become the lion, just as David had become the fool. And it all started with the little things and not going, hey, wait up, whoa, stop, hit pause, I got to take a look again. And in some ways, it's easy to be like, man, we really dislike David. (laughs) David does some pretty awful stuff. But here's the thing, the things that David's struggling with then are still things we struggle with today. They may just look a little bit different, but we at times struggle with our priorities and our responsibilities and life isn't going so great and we make particular choices and things begin to fall apart and it begins to get a little bigger and feel a little bit more overwhelming, but then we have to hit pause and take a step back and go, wait a minute, hold up. What's going on here? But David hasn't quite made it to that moment, David is still struggling to hit pause, to go, wait, I am not on a path I need to be on. Verses 19 through 24, when you have finished reporting all the news of the battle to the king, Joab instructed the messenger, if the king gets angry and asks you, why did you go so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Jerubbabel's son Abimelech? Didn't a woman throw an upper millstone on top of him from the wall so that he died in Theaz? Why did you go so close to the wall? Then say, "Your servant, Uriah the Hittite, is dead too." So the messenger set off, and then he arrived, and when he arrived, he reported to David everything Joab sent him to say. The men overpowered us, the messenger told David. They came out against us in the open field, but he fought against them up to the entrance of the city gates. Archers shot down on your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants died, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead too. Not only has David made these decisions, that he started to prioritize things that he shouldn't. Not only did he begin to shirk his responsibilities, but he also began to drag other people into it. We often think that our the way we prioritize our life, the way that we have our responsibilities set up, the things that we feel responsible for, may not impact that many people, but David's story is like, no, it really can. And maybe we think, okay, so David, I mean, that's an extreme, right? This resulted in the death of Uriah the Hittite. We aren't living like that, are we? And maybe individually we are not, but we are still struggling with this in many different ways. And a great example of this struggle of our priorities and responsibilities and how do we even begin to think about navigating those and realizing that the little things can really add up and result in death is this whole situation down in Surfside, Florida. Little decisions, builder, developer, the way it was built, cutting some corners, the way the individuals respond, the way the HOA, right? There's all these little things that begin to add up, and it, it results in 100 people. Almost 100 people have been found dead with still more searching because of what people prioritized Maybe they thought it only impacted them, the things that they were willing to take responsible for, and yet it added up to something horrific, something awful. And so to be careful, to be very cognizant of how those little things can begin to build and for us to be able to say, wait, whoa, hold up, let's take a step back. We got to chill for a moment because the priorities and the responsibilities are out of whack, and it's going to happen. We are human. David is very, very human, but the prophet Nathan is going to be calling him, calling him to a new perspective, calling him to go, hey, wait up. Whoa, buddy. You have dug a really deep hole. What are your responsibilities? What are your priorities? Had they gotten out of? And so to realize that this story of David challenges us, that even though we may not be in a position like David, that even though maybe what our priorities and responsibilities won't add up to something of the level of Surside, Florida, or of King David, but to realize they do begin to add up, and they do impact others in all kinds of ways. And so to think about, to begin to be challenged by that, to begin to realize how deep of a hole are we digging here? What priorities need to come back into play? What are the responsibilities we've let go for too long? Finishing up in verses 25 through 27. David said to the messenger, say this to Joab, Don't be upset about this because the sword is that way. Taking the life of this person or that person. Continue attacking the city and destroy it. Encourage Joab. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband Uriah was dead, she mourned for her husband. After the time of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her back to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. But what David had done was evil in the Lord's eyes. What David had done was evil in the Lord's eyes. David, this mixed bag, this guy who struggles, like that's, a, that's the great thing about the story of David, right? It is like, no, like David struggles and God keeps calling to him. Yes, David does evil. Yes, David gets his priorities and his responsibilities out of whack. Yes, David causes pain in all kinds of ways and draws so many people into it. And yet God still keeps calling. God still keeps calling. And so if you were to read beyond what we did today, if you were to go to the next chapter, uh, chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, that's what you'd find. Nathan, the prophet, goes to David and is like, um, dude, I got this story for you, and I'm going to tell it to you. And David's all angry and mad. He's like, oh, that person needs to be punished. And Nathan goes, it's you, buddy. God doesn't stop calling to David. God continuously calls to David to say, hey, wait a minute, what are your priorities? Where am I in that? Where is God in the priorities? Where is God and others in the responsibilities? How is God being part of any of our day-to-day decisions, even the smallest ones? Because when we start and push God aside, we start bringing in things. We start prioritizing things that aren't helpful, that break relationships, that screw us up physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in all kinds of ways. When we're like, yeah, no, I'm comfortable, I'm too busy, I got these other things to worry about. When we begin to prioritize and put our responsibilities, pay it. Think about our responsibilities disconnected from God. Things begin to get a little out of control. And yet, God still keeps calling to us. No matter how we've screwed up, no matter what we have done, God keeps calling and saying, it's not too late now. It's not too late now. It's not too late to focus upon God and upon others. It's not too late to love your neighbor. It's not too late to say, you know what? I've screwed this up. I have got to go down a different path. Things are falling apart. How did I contribute to that? What did I do? What were those decisions? To do some self-reflection and say, all right, I got to go a different way. God keeps calling. God keeps calling to us no matter what. So how will we be challenged by this story today of David? Of even when David becomes Goliath, of even when David becomes the lion, how will we allow this story? Of when our priorities and our responsibilities get all screwed up, shifted each and every way, when we think we have dug a hole that we will never get out of, how will we allow ourselves to listen for God? How will we hear God calling to us? How will we experience God saying, it doesn't have to be this way. We can take a different turn. We can go in a different direction. How will we allow this story to challenge us and move us forward in all aspects of our lives, in all the ways that we need it? How will we allow this story to challenge our priorities our responsibilities in the way that we engage with ourselves and the world around us. How will we be challenged this day? Amen.